I want to welcome you this morning. If you're here for the first time, uh, you probably heard it already. I think there was a greeting period. I stepped out during that period for a moment, but I want you to know that you are welcome. We treasure your, your time. We want to be a good steward with your time, um, so we want to let you know that. There's a time that we have afterward to meet in this little building over here where you can ask questions about who we are as a church. Um, if you've been visiting for a few Sundays and you want more information, we'd be glad to, to visit with you then. Uh, give you a little little idea of what we're doing here in these next few minutes, and then I'm going to pray. Uh, we're going to have something a little bit unique this morning. I, every now and again, I have a sermon that just completely gets revamped hours before, sometimes days before, but sometimes hours before, which is really frightening, um, the time I actually am supposed to preach it. Well, this was like two hours ago, so I'm like nervous as a cat in a room full of rockers. But I don't think I'm going to get fired, even if I really fumble it today, so I'm just going to give it a shot. <laughs> you know, I haven't been fired yet, and I've had some other fumbles, so I think this will, uh, we'll just do our best with this. I, it's a little bit unique. I want us to get reacquainted with the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians is where we've been for a season. We've had some times away. Uh, we had a season in, in Isaiah uh, that went on all the way through Advent. We've had uh, some other seasons where uh, other people have been preaching uh, from Romans. And um, this is going to be a time we're coming back to Ephesians. So I want us to get reacquainted with the book. So we're going to have a little bit of an aerial view of the book of Ephesians this morning. It's going to be a little bit unique. We're going to incorporate both ends, not quite both ends, in the next couple of weeks, both ends of the Bible, but especially the front end this morning, the beginning of the story. So it's going to be a, an interesting morning. It's going to be exciting. We're going to be flying a plane that we just built a few hours ago, a couple of hours ago, and we're all in it, so we'll see how this goes. So I'm going to pray and we'll uh, press on. God, I am thankful for those mornings where we really, really um, are stretched beyond what we think we can do and um, where you stretch us uh, in ways that we didn't anticipate. And this is one of those mornings just entrusting this to you from the outset. I'm thankful for Clint and our uh, guys that lead worship and the, the weekly relentless journey that they have together as they um, lead us into the throne room in song. Um, just thankful for uh, the time that we've already had this morning to enjoy that we have been made one, and it was a hard-won effort and a hard-won work that was sure. Lord, I pray that as we continue on this morning that we walk in that oneness, uh, walk in that victory. Lord, I want to lift up another church this morning. I want to pray for Kavanaugh uh, Methodist uh, Church this morning. I pray for John uh, and Nicole Kay. I don't know John or Nicole, but I uh, just want to lift them up as a sister church in our community. Lord, we want you to be glorified through the other churches in our community. We want uh, health. We want these churches to be vibrant. We want them to um, uh, we want your, your name to be famous and renowned and glorified in and through the ministries of these churches. And this morning, specifically praying for Kavanaugh. Lord, we want to pray for... Um, how they're going to spend these next few, few minutes, just starting right there, that it'll be a time where they are equipped to be salty, bright, and aromatic, uh, a time where they are truly enjoying you and enjoying each other. Lord, we're thankful for the opportunity to lift up um, John and Nicole this morning. Lord, we pray that 
you would bless them in their marriage first and foremost, Lord, that it would, uh, that they would understand you and walk with you and enjoy Christ and walk with the Spirit in their marriage and that that would have overflow into the pulpit. Um, Lord, just entrusting Kavanaugh, uh, United Methodist Church, to you this, this morning. Uh, Lord, turning this time over to you for, uh, for your glory and in, in how we spend these next few minutes and pray that you would guide us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> I grew up in church. My earliest re- recollections uh, had to do with church. My mom um, made me wear knickers to church. <laughs> All right, I was born in 67, so if you put the knickers period, it's mid-70s. I was probably six or seven. She made me wear these Argyle socks. I think they were Argyle. Uh, and knickers. I look like a little Irish kid. And like I just got off the boat, Irish, you know. <laughs> she didn't make me wear one of those hats, thankfully. But, uh, man, I grew up in church. I grew up, uh, my earliest memories were going to church and fighting mom for what I was going to wear. Uh, she often took me to JCPenney to buy suits. Um, I was a JCPenney suit guy. I was an overweight kid, so we'd walk in, and the person there helping would say, ah, he looks like a husky. That's what they called the, the sizing for overweight kids back in the day. So I was a husky kid wearing JCPenney suits or knickers and um, to church and singing hymns, man, week after week. We, sung, we wore that hymnal out. I mean, I'm telling you, cover to cover. I can sing the baritone line for probably every song in the hymnal. Uh, it's amazing. I wanted to be a bass, but I just couldn't sing low enough, you know. But I, I kind of hung in there, that baritone line. And every week, relentlessly, man, we were wearing out that hymnal. And um, I also, we had these, these, these pews that had this sort of velveteen fabric on it. And um, it must have been really durable, you know, a good choice for seats. And they looked good, you know, they're kind of shiny. They had a little sheen on them. What, what's kind of cool about them, too, is you could write on them. I don't mean write with a pen. Like, with your finger, you could write your name. And I think for probably till I was 15, 16, I'm doing something, you know, doodling on the velveteen seats and drawing my name and then erasing it. It's so cool. You, can, you start over. Week after week, man, I'm wearing these JCPenney suits and writing on these velveteen pews. And a, pu- a preacher would, would, usually our preacher would have a 20-minute sermon. And man, it was on, on the button, too. Because if it was past 20 minutes, then some of the deacons would start walking out. You know, and the preacher would like, I mean, he had like a, little, a little light system on the back at the balcony that I would sometimes peek back at so I would know he's got five minutes left. How's he going to land this thing? And that man, every week, it was on the money, 20 minutes. And it always started with a funny story. Like every week. Like I didn't know if they had preacher books with funny stories. With it. What am I going to tell this week? It's going to be funny. It's going to be good. It had nothing to do with the passage I'm going to. But it's a funny story that will sort of cultivate everybody. So week after week, that was my church experience. Some of my best memories, like in my lifetime growing up, were connected to church experiences, times with our youth group or times with our children's group, with other kids my age. Some of my best friends when I was growing up were church friends. And my parents were really close with folks at our church. And uh, we often had the pastor over for lunch and his family. And uh, we went over to somebody's house after, after church. Man, church, was, I had so many great memories, but I also had lots of really hard memories. 
where I watched my parents walk through really, really hard, like really hard stuff with people that were dear to them. And oftentimes, or at least sometimes, it would end in a separation and a disconnection between people that had walked together for years. Some great and vivid memories. I could go on and on and on talking about my church experience, but I think it was in probably in college. When I went off to college, I went to A&M, and I went in the cadet corps, and I kind of got into the corps scene, and um, man, church just died for me. I didn't darken the door of a church my entire college experience until Christy and I started dating, which was my second fifth year, or my second senior year, which is aka fifth year. So for four years there, I didn't darken the door of a church in College Station, Texas. When I was home, I visited church, obviously with my parents, because my dad, I, I, out of respect for him, I would not buck that system at all. I wouldn't wear knickers or anything silly like that, but I'd go, I'd go to church. But man, I, I went through sort of a crisis in college where I'm asking this question, what is this Christian and church thing all about? I mean, I've been doing it week after week after week since I could breathe. What is this thing all about? It's a great question. It's one that I asked in college. Some of you may be in that period right now where you're asking this question. What is this thing all about? What's this Christian thing and this church thing all about? Some of you may be on the cusp of that. Some of you may have been dragged here by someone else and you're struggling with that same question. I think the book of Ephesians is good medicine. Man, I think it's something that the Lord used for me in my life to bring me back into an answer to those questions. What is this Christian and church thing all about? It's something that helped me, and I think it's something that will help you. I want to ask you to do something. I'm going to give you a page number. If you, if you don't have your own Bible or if you're not able to find books in the Bible, don't fret over that. Uh, when I remember, I want to give you a page number. So I'll give you a page number this morning, page 976 of your pew Bible. If you brought your own special little Bible and can't find Ephesians, you're going to have to consult the table of contents in the beginning, and that's okay too. Don't, don't feel funny about that. But turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Now, as you're turning there, I want you to just kind of hang in there with me for a little bit. This is where we're going to kind of have liftoff from this plane that we just built, you know. So it's going to be a little shaky, and I want you buckled in. So just kind of hang in there with me. Would you put that first slide up? For me, Casey. Okay, all right. Before we go to the book of Ephesians, I want to give you some context. I want to develop some, some structure for you, some footing, okay? Uh, as I've been preparing this week, I've really been, been preparing for this week for some time now, um, I, I've just been thinking this is a big story. This is a big story. We're in the middle of a big story. And just this morning, this is where things kind of came unglued for me, when I just Googled the parts of a story. I mean, when I was in elementary school or high school, I remember English class where they're telling you about the parts of a story, you know, the character development, the setting development, you know, the plot, you know, the resolution and all those sorts of things. Well, I found three slides that I think are going to help us this morning. This is the first of those three. Let me pull out my handy dandy uh, little laser pointer here. Thank you, Jeff Willingham. Okay. Setting here, setting and characters. All right, let's go to just imagine what unfolded in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Okay, even if you're not really familiar with the Bible, you probably know that that's the story of human beginnings per the Bible. 
Okay, the chapters 1 and 2 is where you come in contact with the creation of the world and the characters, Adam, Eve, and God. Okay, it's a pretty simple story at the very beginning. Okay, and then you have the plot. We're going to talk about the plot in detail here in a minute. And then embedded within the plot, it looks like they're, they're separate, but this is actually part of the plot, is the climax and the resolution and the denouement. Okay, it's a French word. It looks like denouement. I want to say it like a redneck, but it's denouement. So we're going we're gonna to be proper French people today, I guess. And we're going we're gonna to handle all these things over the next few minutes. Hit that next slide for me. Okay. Uh, the parts of a plot. Okay, this is how we're going to spend these next couple of minutes is considering the inciting incident. Okay. And then the development of that the climax, the resolution, and we're going to finish the morning with the denouement. And you're going to understand why, why and what this has to do with Ephesians here in a few minutes. Okay, But let me give you some background. Hit that next slide for me because this will be a nice visual for you of where we're going to spend these next few minutes. This is just a visual construction of what I just shared with you. The inciting incident, opening situation, the development and rising action, the climax and the resolution, and the denouement. If you've read a book of fiction, you've been on this journey. Okay, so most people in here, have, if you've watched a movie, you've been on this journey. Okay, this is just the structure of story X. Okay, now, you can leave that slide up there, Casey. And y'all don't get too distracted with that slide. We'll come back to this here in a little bit. But before we get to Ephesians, let me build in some structure for you, build in, flesh out this visual for you. Genesis chapter 3 gives the account of Eve and then Adam eating fruit from a forbidden tree. They could eat from any tree in the garden. <laughs> they only really had one commandment, don't eat from that tree. But that's the tree they ate from. So God then looking for them, searching for them, walking in the cool of the day, Genesis chapter 3 tells us, looking for them, calling to them. He finds them, and it's really the first episode of Naked and Afraid. That's what I thought about yesterday. That's the very first episode, Naked and Afraid. I mean, they got fig leaves, but they might as well be naked. Naked and Afraid. So he finds them hiding. He finds them ashamed. And he finds them guilty. Because they've broken that one commandment that he's given them. Now, it may seem like overkill, but you have to understand holiness to understand what unfolded then. God is so holy that all it takes is a sin of eating the fruit from a forbidden tree to result in the consequences. First for the serpent. Okay, he meets out those consequences for the serpent. Then for Eve, pain in childbirth. And then also Eve is going to want to control her husband. Okay, and then all the while the husband's going to want to rule over her. But then the consequences for Adam is death comes to mankind. Okay, grave, grave consequences. That was the moment that death and decay entered the world when God pronounced judgment on them. Okay, he evicted them from the garden then and even put guards at the entrance. Even if you're familiar with the story, just climb back into it and just enjoy those pictures. And realize this is where this is what happened here. In the, the walking of the cool of the day relationship between creature and creator was lost. At that moment, 
the walking in the cool of the day relationship between creature and creator was lost. This is the first and the central problem in the Bible. What unfolded right there? The first and the central problem in the Bible. Okay, so just looking at this, this picture, the inciting incident is eating from the forbidden tree. Okay, and that happens in chapter 3. Okay, and the, then the, the, the consequences, the judgment is meted out. And then chapters, I'm going to say, I'm going to explain here in a moment. Chapters 5 of Genesis through Malachi, Malachi, the Italian prophet, Malachi. Chapter 3 is the development and rising action. That's where we're going up, up the little cliff there, up the mountain. The development and rising action take place in chapters 5 all the way through Malachi chapter 3. Okay. Now here's the cool thing about the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians is almost like a little cliff's note for this big story. Uh, cliff notes is what I used in college to get through college. Some of you that don't know what cliff notes are, it's like little cheater books. It's not technically cheating unless the professor said you can't use cliff notes, but it's a little yellow and black book. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you purchased them too that you could buy in the bookstore or you could get them in another bookstore that off campus, you know, like a kind of like a druggie or something, like a dealer's passing them to you. Give me my cliff notes. Where you could make sense of books that were bigger and harder to make sense of. Okay? It's like Ephesians, it's like cliff notes for this big story. And Ephesians helps make sense of this inciting incident and development and rising action and the climax and resolution to the problem. Okay? The problem that's developed so far is separation between creature and creator. Now look at Ephesians chapter 2. Okay, that's a long preparation for Ephesians chapter 2. Let me get over there too because I need to read it. I don't, I don't have it memorized. Okay, listen to this, chapter 2, verse 1, so good. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Now Paul at this point, Paul's the writer of the letter of the, 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 the letter called Ephesians. He's writing it to a church that's made up of Jew and Gentile. At this point, he's speaking primarily to the Gentiles. The Gentiles are everybody that's not Jew, not a Jew. Okay, we're Gentiles. He's speaking to the Gentiles. He says, you guys are dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now in the, at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Paul is doing something here. He's saying, you Gentiles were dead in your trespasses and sins. You Gentiles, oh man, you got the scripture up there. I was going back to the little image. That's cool. Leave it. That's good. No, y'all are on it. One step ahead of me, okay. All right, let me figure out where I was going. It's okay. All right, you Gentiles are dead in your trespasses and sins, but guess what? We Jews are too. We too are, by nature, are children of wrath, is what he says. We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, in verse 3, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now, now put that image back up, that last image. And just leave that up there for me. Okay. Um, okay, so what he said so far in this passage, in Ephesians chapter 2, is he said that a Bible's worth all the way up to Malachi chapter 3 
have demonstrated that all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. Okay? We all are by nature children of wrath. It is a human problem. I told you it is the first problem presented in the Bible, and it is the theme throughout the Bible that's got to be resolved somehow. Okay, But listen to what he says next. We've got as far as verse 3. But God, my favorite two words in the Bible. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and, you, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Okay, what he's developed so far is that all Jew and Gentile are in a real mess. All Jew and Gentile have been evicted from the garden. All Jew and Gentile have a broken relationship vertically between creature and creator. It is a universal human problem. Okay? But God, in dealing with this problem, made us alive together with Christ. Okay, the climax, let me show you this, this, I didn't deal with this right here. The developmental action goes all the way through Malachi chapter 3. The climax is developed in Matthew chapter 1 through John chapter, forget how many chapters are in, no, let's just say Acts chapter 1, because that's the, the story of the ascension. The climax and the resolution are developed in Matthew chapter 1 through Acts chapter 1. Christ's birth, his sinless life, his crucifixion, his resurrection, and his ascension to the Father's right hand. Okay, this first and central problem is dealt with at the climax and resolution of the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Christ. Okay? And that's what Paul is speaking about here. He says that you were dead in your trespasses and sins. It wasn't just a Gentile thing. It was a Jewish thing. But God made us alive together with Christ. He raised us with Christ. And he seated us with Christ. Three wonderful made-up verbs. Paul had to make up three words to say what he was saying right there. Three verbs that he united each of them to Christ. See, basically what happened is Christ accomplished the climax and resolution of this human problem for us. And by our union with Christ by faith, we enter into this resolution. We enter into the, the, the answer, the solution to the human problem. He solves it by our faith in Christ and our, we, we enter into union with him. And we are made alive with him. His resurrection becomes ours. He is raised and we are raised by our union with him. And he is raised to the Father's right hand and seated in the place of victory. And by our faith and our union to Christ, we experience that as well. Through the work of Christ, there is vertical restoration between creature and creator. That is part of the good news of Ephesians. The problem is, most Christians, that's all they live in. That's why I was okay with four years in college saying, man, I don't have to bother with going to church with all those other people because me and Jesus, we got it squared away. 
Jesus fixed that Genesis problem or Genesis 3 problem for me. So me and me, me and my creator, we're good. Okay, but that's not all that's in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, or excuse me, chapter 2, 1 through 10 developed that beautiful picture of the vertical restoration. But now, you may not have ever really thought about this, but let me show you this. Genesis chapter 3. You know what comes after Genesis chapter 3? Genesis chapter 4. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. But, I mean, in, in the original language, in the Hebrew, there wouldn't even have been a number there. Moses is just telling a story. We separate it by numbers just so we can find it. But just imagine, take that four out of the text there, and just imagine this story unfolding where this vertical thing is messed up in chapter 3. I don't even want to use the words. Where this vertical thing is messed up through the fall, and watch what unfolds in chapter, in the next section. (laughs) Now Adam knew Eve, his wife. Okay, they're evicted from the garden. They no longer have this walking in the cool of the day relationship. They're evicted from the garden. Now Adam and Eve, or Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Okay, what in the original Hebrew, she actually says, I have gotten the God-man. She thought that that birth of that son was going to be the one who restored them back to the garden. She was that expectant that early on. Kind of cool. Okay? So Cain is born. Bad news for her, if you know how the story goes. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering... He had no regard, so Cain was very angry, and his face fell. Most of you probably know the rest of the story. If you don't, it's okay. I'm going to read it. Just a few more verses. Listen. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. It's desires for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to his brother Abel, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel, and he killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. God knew what he had done. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. He shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, listen to what he says. My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you've driven me today away from the ground. And from your face, I shall be hidden. Okay, now what I want to show you, this, this is crazy. It's crazy to me. Right here, you know, most people put Genesis chapter 3. I was about to use my pen. I'm like, that's not going to work. Most people put Genesis chapter 3 right there on that line. That's the incident, Genesis 3 right there. That's the inciting incident that, that then the rest of the story. I want you to put chapter 4 on that line too. I want you to realize what the bad news for the human race is that we have had broken relationship between, our, between creature and creator. That's chapter 3. But we've also had broken relationship with one another. That's chapter 4. 
Man, this thing, since, since sin entered the world, has been messed up vertically, and it's been messed up horizontally ever since. Man, think about this. Thousands of years later, we can certainly agree that man isn't very good at getting along with his brother. Is he? Man, think of the wars. The wars in history, these terrible fights. Think about generations old hatred between Hatfields and McCoys. The, the hatred that becomes legend. Think about Jews and Gentiles. Imagine what life was like for them. He couldn't have picked two people that hated each other any more than a Jew and a Gentile. And what I'm about to show you is, is resolution even to that problem. Man, brothers aren't very good at getting along. Any of you married? Can we be honest? Anybody married? Yeah, anybody have some sense of what life, and life is like together being married to another human being? Is the wind always to your back in your marriage? If it is, you're a unique rascal. Golly. Man, marriage is a heavy dose in the reality that man's not great at getting along by nature. There's a horizontal brokenness too. Man, if you had a great friend that you thought, man, I will never, it will take, heaven and earth couldn't separate us from our friendship, yet something goes down where you're separated. Man, I bet every single person in the room can think about some version of the separation between brother and brother, or sister and sister, or brother and sister. Well, Ephesians has good news to that as well. The rest of the gospel, the rest of the good news over there in Ephesians chapter 2. It's a continuation. It's the very next verse after Paul in his cliff notes says, look, look what God did where he restored this vertical problem between creature and creator. Look at the very next verse in chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands like you canes. Remember you canes wandering the earth. Remember that you were at, time, at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But here's two more beautiful words to add to but God. But now. But now in Christ Jesus, the same climax, the same resolution brings wholeness and healing to that number I asked you to add to the inciting incident. Chapter 4, Genesis. It's beautiful. Watch, watch what unfolds. But now in Christ Jesus, you Hatfields and McCoys, you Jews and Gentiles, you husbands and wives, you estranged friends, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Man, what beautifully good news. Man was alienated from God through sin in chapter 3, and the result was that man through sin was alienated from man, Genesis chapter 4. But now... In Christ Jesus, the far off have been brought near, and the most unlikely, the most 
opposite polar people you can possibly imagine, Jew and Gentile, have been made one. And that new one people, that new man, has replaced the two. And both are reconciled to God vertically in one body horizontally. What crazy good news. I love the cliff notes because they help me make sense of a lot of Bible. Here's what Ephesians does for us. Ephesians, in those three chapters, in the first three chapters of Ephesians, where I just showed you sort of a condensed version of it in chapter 2, verses 1 through 16, that's this right here. Okay, the first three chapters deal with the development and rising action. All are dead in your trespasses and sins. We too, by nature, children of wrath. The climax, but in Christ, by your union with Christ by faith, that you are raised together with him, you are seated with him. The two are made one in Christ Jesus. That's the resolution. That's the first three, three chapters of, of, of Ephesians. Okay, so this visual gives you a little picture of what we've been looking at in the last three chapters that we spent, I don't know how many months, sometime back in chapters three. So you can either go back and listen to those sermons or you can listen to what we just said. You kind of got a summary of it. Paul threw the, the letter to the church at Ephesus. He says, hey, that vertical problem, restored and reconciled in Christ. Hey, that horizontal problem between Cain and, I, Cain and Abel, restored and reconciled through Christ. That's pretty awesome. It'd be kind of cool, though, you know, if you think about if there were just three chapters in Ephesians, we could move on to another book right now, right? Remember I told you that's kind of where most people want to live right now. That's where most Christians want to live is just, hey, man, I'm reconciled with God, and that's kind of cool. I like those first three chapters, but there's four more chapters in the book of Ephesians. Let me show you what those four more chapters are doing here. If you have the book and the page open right there in Ephesians chapter 3, look at the headings in chapter 4. Unity in the body of Christ. He starts talking church. Listen to what he says. I, therefore, in light of the last three chapters, in light of this vertical reconciliation through the work of Christ, in light of this horizontal reconciliation through the work of Christ, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, Urge you, you reconciled people, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you've been called. And that's the tenor for the rest of the book. In light of the first three chapters, in light of the cliff note version of the development, rising action, and climax, and resolution through the work of Christ, go walk in denouement. Go back to that previous slide so we can see what the definition of denouement is. And I want to show you something. It's really cool. If you've been with me this far, you're going to be like, oh, it's Eureka. If you've been sleeping so far, you need to go back and listen to what we talked about so far and wake up. Okay, look at the definition of denouement. When characters go back to their life before the conflict. See, I told you what Christ accomplished was the conflict and the resolution to the human problem. The denouement is when we go back to walk in the garden. We get restored to the garden to walk not only with God in the cool of the day, but to walk in the cool of the day with Eve, Adams. To walk in the cool of the day with Adam, Eves. 
to walk in the cool of the day with Cain and Abel and Nadab and Abihu and Phinehas and Hophni and Saul, the most unlikely of people who have been forgiven through the work of Christ. We walk together in the cool of the day. That's what was accomplished. And we are walking in denouement. When characters go back to their life before the conflict. I was thinking about what a fiction book. You know, some of, the, some of my favorite books that Christy and I have read over the years by a guy named Ivan Doig, fiction books, um, talking a lot about the settling, the uh, these countrysides with Irish settlers and shepherds, and it's just a beautiful story, some of my favorite stories. The period that we're walking in right now in denouement, after the climax and resolution of what Christ has accomplished for us, is the period in the book where all the action's already over. You've already met the characters in the setting. The problem has been resolved through the climax and resolution. And you're at the tail end of the book. You know those last few pages where you're like, man, I don't want it to end. It's so good because I know the characters. I've done life with them. I've experienced life with these guys. They've gone through a terrible trial and a terrible conflict, but they've found full and complete resolution. And I don't want this book to end. I don't want those last pages to unfold. Can anybody relate to that? Anybody ever read a book like that? That's the period we're walking in together as the church. That period where we're like, we don't want it to end because of what's been won for us. That period, I don't want the page to turn because it's so sweet. It was so expensive, that conflict and and resolution to that human problem. That Man, we just want to walk together. Look at the headings that unfold here in the rest of Ephesians. Unity in the body of Christ. The new life together that talks about purity. Walking in love, chapter 5. Doesn't that sound good? This is all dealing with horizontal stuff. Between us, between one another. And things get oh so practical. Look at this next one. Wives and husbands. How about this next one? Children and parents. This reality has some sweet purchase for us in our homes. We're not talking about just some sort of crazy ideas. We're talking about something that really has purchase or supposed to have purchase. In our lives, husbands and wives, children and parents, bond servants and masters, where you work. It's supposed to have an impact on how you work and how you lead at work. Beautiful, beautiful pictures of life in the garden together. If you want to understand how Ephesians looks, go back to that image again. How the, the with the yeah. This is Ephesians one through three. This is Ephesians four through six. The day new mom. The period you don't want to end. The period as you walk in response to what's been won for us. Man, I hope this will help and help you and condition you to how to read as we move forward in Ephesians. I think the best movie, in my opinion, that has ever been made. You ready for this? It's really a good one if you've seen it and you don't agree, then I want to fight you. (laughs) Not really. Stranger Than Fiction. Will Ferrell is the main guy. Anybody seen it? Unbelievable movie. Yes, I see a fist pump back there. Yeah. Unbelievable movie. 
You know, this story, I, I, I'm not ruining it for you. You just get, you got to rent it and see it. It's such a great movie. It's not a comedy. Imagine Will Ferrell in a movie that's not a comedy. It is so good. But Will Ferrell is experiencing these circumstances in his life that he can't make sense of. Somebody's making him wear knickers. He's wearing JCPenney suits. He's drawing his name on velveteen seats. I'm, I'm importing another story, obviously. I hope you know that. He's trying to make sense of circumstances in his life, and he can't make sense of them until all of a sudden he realizes, I'm being written into a story. There's someone behind the pen of my experiences. And then he begins to make sense of his life. That's what Ephesians does. It did it for me, and it will do it for you if you read it that way and see yourself in the storyline. It's our story. By our union with Christ, we're written into the storyline. And now we make sense of this whole experience. Ephesians did a beautiful thing for me as I looked back at my experience with my family growing up in church. I see God using those things to equip me and sustain me and grow me over decades in the church. And it's led me to cherish this season. I don't want the book to end Ah, man, I hope that maybe if you've never felt that, that maybe in these next few weeks as we move on together in chapters 4 through 6 of Ephesians, you'll begin to taste the sweetness of those last few pages. Let me pray. God, I pray that this morning, I pray for a couple of things. I pray, first of all, that you will use our time together looking through something as simple as a grammar class, looking at this big and beautiful story that you've been writing over thousands of years. Lord, I pray that first and foremost that we come to adore the climax and resolution more than ever. Lord, I pray that we are acquainted with the reality of the problem, the human problem, but that we adore our Savior more. And Lord, I pray that in that too, that we will see that we want to be part of a beautiful unfolding story as we walk together in the cool of the day with each other. I pray that through this sermon and through these future sermons that we have in Ephesians, Lord, that you will give us and or cultivate, really, an enjoyment in life together. I'm praying these things in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to read a passage from the book of 1 Corinthians. One of the first things that developed in chapter 4 is really the highlight of where we're going to be spending these next few weeks It's going to be a series of sermons on unity. It was hard won for us. I hope you got that this morning. Christ's work restored not just the vertical thing, which is where a lot of people want to live and just stay there. It also restored a horizontal thing between brothers, broken and estranged brothers. And that it's fitting then for the church to walk in unity. That's the highlight of really of chapter 4. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth in chapter 11, and he's dealing with them about this issue of unity, and he's connected it to the supper. 
Listen to this, chapter 11, verse 17. In the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. You're coming like Cain and Abel. You're coming like Jew and Gentile, estranged. You're coming like a bunch of broken, divided people. And I believe in part, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, though, he says, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. You're not even having the supper. You think it's the supper. But when you come divided, you're not walking in what was hard won for you. You're coming as a bunch of people that are separate and divided. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What, he says? What in the world are you thinking? Coming divided when what was so difficult to win for you. What was so costly and hard won for you. Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Here's what he says about a proper supper. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Man, let's just import and connect what we've considered this morning. As he's sharing that supper, as he's breaking that bread, and he's about to share that cup, he's taking them to reality that I'm winning this vertical problem for you. I'm fixing it for you. And these horizontal messes that you guys are walking in right now, those were redeemed as well. Remember it every single week. And not just a memory thing. The supper's not just a memory thing. It is an actual application of walking together in unity. Listen what continues. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I want to encourage you guys to realize this is a weekly application of walking in unity. He discourages taking the supper if you're crossways with one another. Because you're, you're eating divided. It's not even the supper that you're taking. So here's your options. Pass on the supper or deal with the problem. How about this? Maybe pass on the supper today. Deal with the problem this afternoon. You're going to see it here in Ephesians chapter 4. The denouement, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't walk in unforgiveness. You're going to see it right there in Ephesians chapter 4. How about you get a head start on that and go walk in that so you then can join us in a union meal called the supper next week. But for those of you right now, as far as you know, if you're not crossways with a brother or sister and you're enjoying this vertical reconciliation, this horizontal reconciliation, man, that when we pass out these elements, you eat up as we eat it together as one people, a hard-won people. Let's distribute the elements.